evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Axiom Principle. I'm your host, Dr. G. And today I thought I'd take a little detour from our regular anti-SGW, anti-feminist, anti-religion, anti-ideology conversation and uh, take a look at another ideology that is a little bit more oriented toward health and promoting uh, good, healthy habits and a healthy body. And that particular ideology is called ism. So before we go any further, what I'd like to do is uh, don't eat honey, they don't eat milk or drink milk, they don't uh, eat eggs, not even egg whites. Um, some vegetarians actually, you know, they won't eat the yolk because that was once the part of the fertilized egg, but they'll eat the whites because it's not necessarily a part of the fertilized egg. And uh, it, it goes different from there, but vegans won't even, they take it even a step further. It's not just the food that they won't abide by, but they also avoid products such as leathers and furs and silk and wool and cosmetics that might have been tested on an animal, not even just created from, but tested on an animal. And uh, they take it to the extreme, essentially. So... Um, that is the difference between vegan and vegetarian. The uh, point that we're going to be making today in this particular blog and podcast, I guess I should say, is that the, um, the vegan and the vegetarian have a point of contention that I think is very backwards. I don't know how else to put it to their point of uh, that this is the best life for anybody. So I'd like to start first with uh, pointing out their arguments. That's the easiest thing to do, I think, and then we can move forward after that. But uh, let's just go by this uh, vrg.org for sake of argument, and uh, I'm pretty sure there are plenty of YouTubers or uh, blog posts tell you maybe something slightly different, but essentially this is my understanding of it, and I think this website pretty much uh, contains exactly what uh, I view both ideologies to be. So people choose to be, I'm going to directly read this just for sake of argument. People choose to be vegan for health, environmental, ethical reasons, and or for ethical reasons. For example, some vegans feel that promotes the meat industry by consuming eggs and dairy products. That is, once dairy cows or egg-laying chickens are too old to be productive, they're often sold as meat. And since milk calves do not produce milk, they're usually raised for veal or other products. Some people avoid these items because of the conditions associated with their production. Many vegans choose this lifestyle to promote more humane and caring world they know they are not perfect, but they believe they have a responsibility to try and do the best while not being judgmental of others. Now, I want to point out a few interesting things about this in particular. For those of you that may or may not be familiar with it, there's a dude out there called Vegan Gains, and he's probably the uh, worst possible example of a vegan that you can find. I say this because he's pretty healthy about it, but he is... Um, a fundamentalist and a crazed fundamentalist at that. For any of you that have experiences with fundamentalists of any religion, you know that these people are very rude, very abrupt, um, extremely condescending, and very vindictive, and a number of a number of other things. Uh, those that follow me on Twitter will know that these type of people, the fundamentalists, are usually the ones that will badger you the most, that are really extremely rude, that uh, will call you names and all that fun stuff. And if you get fundamentalist is Islam people, uh, fundamentalist Muslims, they'll kill you, essentially. Uh, that happened in Manchester, for example. That was a fundamentalist Muslim that decided to take 22 people's lives. But fundamentalists in general, in any ideology, are the extreme fringe, if you will, of the ideology, which can demonstrate how bad a person can be 
if they stick with an ideology. So with this particular ideology, which is a veganism, you'll find that while they're rude, abrupt, and calling everybody pieces of crap and um, very rude and condescending and um, all in all just kind of vindictive people because they think they have the moral support superiority to be so. Uh, but you don't see them beating people up. You don't see them picketing and fencing. Uh, you don't see them calling into violence and whatnot. So it's very benign um, because it would be against their own ideology to use violence since the purpose of their ideology is to cause the least harm possible, and that includes to uh, animals. So not only are they rude and condescending because they're pissed off that they think other people are making wrong choices, and so they want to condemn those people and try to bully them into their way of thinking. Of course, we all know that doesn't work very well. In fact, it does the exact opposite. Needless to say, every once in a while, somebody actually gets caught up in this kind of crap, and that's what it is. So uh, the uh, ideology of veganism has some significant flaws to it. Uh, going with the dietary prescription first, there's been many studies about vegetarian and vegan diets. Um, all nutritionists point out that typically it's healthier for you to be vegan or vegetarian. However, you will not get all of your dietary requirements from just strictly being vegan or vegetarian. This is because we are omnivorous species. And uh, I think vegan and vegetarians kind of miss out on biology when discussing what kind of animal species are there. Well, there's three types of that when you them by what they consume. There's the vegetarian, your cows, for example, are the so uh, lions and tigers and bears. Oh my, they all eat animals to survive of flesh. They need to eat things that are moving, so they have to hunt to eat to survive. And then there's the ones that are in between. And we are one of the few species that is omnivorous, meaning we can eat anything, which um, is the most survivable, uh, survivable type species is the one that can eat literally anything. There are some things that we can't eat, of course, that are very poisonous. We can't eat poison. We can't eat that type of stuff. And uh, what I refer to is we can eat the grains and the grass and the weeds and the trees, if it's within um, our diet to be able to consume those. It can't be just any tree or whatever. You know, you can get sick from certain things. Uh, but we can also eat mammal flesh. And that is something that we've developed over a couple million years to be able to eat both sides of the fence, depending on what our environment required us to survive in. And because we can survive in most any environment, because we can adapt to those environments quicker than any other animal. Mainly because we're ingenious. We can think of ways to survive in those locations, not just adapt new traits to be able to survive there. Um, that adaptability has allowed us to populate the entire world. And uh, a big omnivorous, which is a biological trait, is a very big contributing factor to making us one of the most successful animals on this planet. And uh, vegan and vegetarianism only surface when you bring an ideological thinking into play coupled with uh, dietary constraints, maybe um, a few uh, tribes out there that would never eat meat. Um, and it wasn't necessarily a choice because most things would hunt them. There wasn't anything for them to eat, per se, except for each other. So you have cannibal um, tribes out there, too, unfortunately. But there are a couple that were vegetarian. 
not vegan, but vegetarian. They would still eat meat when it was available, but for the most part, they would live off the land. Adaptive trait. It was plentiful to eat, feed the most people. Our ability to adapt to many environments makes it so that we have a high dietary requirement for a lot of things. So in a journal I want to pull up that was posted in the American Society for Nutrition in 2009, it is the American Journal for Clinical Nutrition. Um, this is a peer-reviewed type journal, one of the few that don't have an ass load of bias in them still. And let me just read you the abstract of one of the articles that I found when I searched uh, just vegan diets is what I was looking for. You can find this one on um, Google Scholar. Uh, I'll have a link to it on my blog post if you want to check it out later. But this is, this is what it says. So let me move this over real quick so it's a little bit easier for me to read. A brighter screen. All right. Recently, vegetarian diets have experienced an increase in popularity, which is true. This is vegetarianism, not veganism. A vegetarian diet is associated with many health benefits because it's higher content in fiber, folic acid, vitamin C and E, potassium, magnesium, and many uh, phylochemicals and fat content that's more unsaturated. So the saturated fats, you know, they're bad. So we're getting a little bit into nutritional. Um, and compared with other vegetarian diets, vegan diets tend to contain less saturated fat and cholesterol and more dietary fiber, which is true because they are fundamentalist vegetarians. They remove meat, meat products, and the byproducts. Everything's out. Vegans dinner have low serum, serum cholesterol, lower blood pressure, reduce hit, and reduce their risk for heart disease because of the lower blood pressure. And their lower cholesterol, because that can also cause issues with um, heart problems. However, eliminating all animal products from the diet increases the risk of certain nutritional deficiencies. Uh, micronutrients, a spe uh, special concern for vegans, include vitamin B B12 and D, calcium, long chain N, which is omega-3, uh, fatty acid, and a few others. Unless vegans regularly consume foods that are fortified with these nutrients, appropriate supplements should be consumed. In some cases, iron and zinc status of vegans also may be of concern because of the limited bioavailability of these minerals. So I wanted to go over two of them in particular because uh, people in my family actually have some issues with these, including myself. So, for example, uh, vitamin B12. Let me describe to you what this is, and we're just going to use NIH.gov, which is the uh, National Institute for Health. So B12 is a water-soluble vitamin that is naturally present in most foods. Uh, B12 is required for proper red blood cell formation, neurological functions, and DNA synthesis, which means cellular replication. Vitamin B12 functions as a cofactor for methanone, can't even say, methionine synthesize, L-methicillinol, COA, and mutase. Uh, these catalyze the conversion of homeostine to methionine. Wow, these are some words that are full chemistry, and I'm not all that great with them. Uh, basically... 100, 100 different substrates, including DNA, RNA, hormones, protein, and lipids. So it's found in the protein of food. You have to take it uh, from a protein-based food. But, you, you know, if you're vegan, you got a real strict diet. So getting your protein from certain places may require you to eat 15 times a day. Let's, uh, let's go down a little bit in the sources, dietary supplements, deficiency, that's what I'm after. So B12 deficiency is characterized by megaloplastic anemia, fatigue, weakness, constipation, loss of appetite, and weight loss. 
Neurological changes such as numbness and tingling of hands and feet may also occur. In addition, symptoms of B12 deficiency include difficulty maintaining balance, depression, confusion, dementia, poor memory, soreness of the mouth and tongue. So uh, I know this affects my wife. She has anemia as well. And if her B12 is low, she gets all loopy, forgets things, um, never really has an appetite. Sometimes she gets confused, has poor memory, that type of thing. Uh, Not really depression or anything like that. We're pretty happy family, but that's just one of them. So let's take a look at vitamin D, which is a problem that I have for different reasons. I'm just going to look at the deficiencies. So let me see if I can find the NIH.gov. D. Oh, head personal fact sheet. Scroll down. Sun exposure, dietary supplement, efficiency. So, as I said, uh, this is also another issue for vegans, and they may need to take a deficiency for this or a supplement. I personally have to take. Um, a pretty healthy dose of D, vitamin D once a week. Um, fortunately, it has stopped because I was able to fix some dietary issues I had with this. But nutrition deficiencies are usually a result of inadequacy, uh, impaired absorption and use, or increased requirement, or increased excretion. So you can actually just sweat these out which is oh so fun. Vitamin D deficiency can occur when usual intake is lower than recommended levels over time. Exposure to sunlight is limited. The kidneys cannot convert uh, 25D, which is OHD, to its active form, or the absorption of vitamin D to the digestive tract is inadequate. So there's some deficiency diseases that come with this. Uh, Osteomalacia is one of them. Rickets is the other one. Uh, Vitamin D deficiency can cause rickets, for example. Disease characterized by failure of bone tissue to properly mineralize. So if you hurt or break your fingers or whatever, it might take you longer to heal your bones because you're low in vitamin D. So you have soft bones that are really tender. Skeletal deformities may occur. Um, Rickets is pretty kind of messed up. Uh, There's nothing else really that all kind of stands out, but it's usually about vitamin D is uh, weak bones um, and skeletal structure. It really affects the skeleton more than anything. So if you have tender ribs, for example, one one of my issues or my shins, um, you'll you'll have a lower vitamin D because it takes longer to heal the bones. So these are just two of the things that you might have to concern yourself when you're talking about veganism and the dietary issues that come up with it. There are a number of other issues that come up with it, but let's skip the second part, the environmental part. So as I said, they don't use the byproducts of leather, fur, silk, and so other such things. Well, if they're not using it, somebody else is. So they really aren't doing anything for the environment. In fact, um, not consuming certain byproducts does not necessarily contribute to environmental changes. They would have to actively do things that would uh, cause environmental changes for that to even be a thing. Um, Fortunately, most vegans that I have ever been across, except for maybe Vegan Gaines because he's kind of a special character, um, they are active environmentalists on top of being a vegan. It's kind of associated. So what they'll be out there doing is cleaning up the parks. They'll be cleaning up beaches. They'll um, do protests against like uh, oil companies, you name it. So very big in environmental uh, issues. Um And that's usually a good thing. I I would agree to the environmental aspects of it, but some of their approaches is just kind of asinine because it's not going to do any good. 
not at least that approach. Now, other things like being a conservative on water or recycling or stuff like that, sure, that would contribute to uh, the environment because you're leaving a smaller footprint for yourself as far as waste is concerned. So let's get to the last point, um, and we'll discuss that for the last 30 minutes of the show, and that is the ethical reasons. The whole point of this particular podcast was to discuss the moral argument for veganism. Um, I, I want to discuss this one the most because what happens is they, um, the vegans that I've met, um, obviously I keep harping on vegan gains is one of the prime examples of this, but vegan, uh, veganism and the people behind it tend to try to take the moral superiority or the moral high ground in, uh, in an attempt to make the opposition, those that eat meat and those that are omnivorous or even vegetarians for that matter, um, feel like a less humane person because they are better than everyone else. This moral argument uh, of any sort is common among all ideologies. For example, Christianity tries to use guilt to pressure people into uh, their belief system, trying to say that they're, uh, they're leading a life of sin and that everything that you do is horrible and sinful and it offends the deity God that they have chosen to believe in, whatever ideology um, the monotheists want to go with, uh, Islam, Judaism, what have you. And uh, that sin will bring you to hell and you'll be punished forever. So it's a big, massive guilt trip. Um, in this particular secular ideology with veganism, it is the uh, subjugation, punishment, and murder, as they call it, of animals that they use as a moral argument to suggest that they are superior to anyone else. Baring recently did a uh, multiple video, not even a collaboration, multiple videos about a dude named Vegan Gaines. Um, I've mentioned him so many times in this podcast, I might as well bring this part up too. But um, one of these arguments that he presented was the definition of murder when comparing to animals and livestock. Murder is the premeditated killing of another human, specifically. Uh, But you can... um, generalize it to mean killing of another thing that's alive and sentient. So, for example, the only other sentient beings that have self-realization that we are aware of are the dolphin family. So killer whales on down to your bottlenose dolphin. Killing one of them would be stupid, of course, um, because they're not only a protected species, but they're also self-aware. So you are killing another sentient being that is fully aware of themselves and everything around them. Uh, type of killing I would constitute as murder because it is a sentient living thing. What you hear from vegans is that everything is sentient. If it's working around, mooing, has conversations, makes noises, it must be sentient. Yet, in neuroscience, we have ways of discovering self-awareness, which is a requirement for sentience. Being self-aware is the pinnacle, if you will, of living existence. Knowing of thyself is a step toward understanding uh, the universe and everything around it. Otherwise, you're just kind of there. You don't have a real know yourself that you don't know uh, much of anything. You have to rely on your base instincts, essentially. You're a missionary, not for thinking. And the way they test this is really kind of interesting. So what they'll do is they'll take a mirror and place it in a place like uh, the jungle or whatnot, if you, if you want to take a look at this. Uh, there's a documentary on CuriosityStream, if you really want to watch this, about the sentience and studying dolphins in particular. 
And what they'll do is they'll put the mirror out and just like in the, the jungle somewhere where they have a variety of different species. And you'll see four kind of base reactions to see their own reflection. Uh, aggression and anger are one thing, like it's territorial type thing, especially if you look at the ape tribes and the, uh, not the homo sapiens, but the homo family. They'll, uh, they'll get aggressive, especially if it's the alpha male sees their own reflection. They won't realize that it's them. They'll think it's another alpha. So they attack their own reflection. So it's anger and aggression is what you'll see. The next one is um, you'll see curiosity and fear. So they'll think it's another thing. They'll get curious about it. But the moment they try to go out and reach, they'll uh, be afraid and run off, you know, not really interact. The next one is lust. So you, you may see an animal go up to its own reflection and try to make out with itself, essentially, because it doesn't realize that it's just a reflection of itself. It, may, it thinks it's another animal, so it tries to get, get busy with it, I guess you can say. So they basically are just trying to make out with themselves. And, and the fourth one, uh, so we did aggression, we did uh, curiosity and fear, and you'll see avoidance. So the the fear, they'll be curious and then kind of just take off. Uh, avoidance will see it and just disappear. They just completely avoid for all intents and purposes. They won't even come near their own reflection. So you have the flight and flight response. However, with dolphins, when they did the same uh, mirror test, just like humans, humans can tell it's themselves because of their reactions. They don't get uh, flight or fight. What it'll do for humans in particular, when you see a reflection, you start touching your own face. You may start touching other things that are around you and notice that that's also in the image. And you'll, it'll kind of put a picture together to understand that I'm looking at myself. Dolphins do the same thing. They see the reflection of themselves. They look at it and they dart their heads back and forth. They spin a little bit. Uh, they blow some bubbles and put their head through it and say, wow. And you see the expressions on their face because they do have facial expression. And realize that they are seeing themselves in the mirror and, and, and they can understand it. So to give you a small idea of sentient beings as a, as a thing, when you go back to the vegan belief system, everything is sentient, but that's not true. So we already have one falsehood in their belief system trying to claim that all animals are sentient, so therefore we should not kill them. That moral argument by itself doesn't stand on its own weight because all morality is a subjective interpretation of the world. Vegans in particular try to make a moral claim based on a biological truth, which is not a truth. The more we test and more we understand about our own world, uh, the less likely an ideology has to be an accurate depiction of that world. Veganism is no different when it tries to claim that the animals that are sent to slaughter are sentient things. Now, this does not necessarily justify the slaughter of animals for consumption, but it does put a nail in their claim that these animals are sentient and we are causing harm to them. If they are not self-aware how do they know that they're about to die? Well, they don't. They're reacting to pain. The reaction to pain is what people assume is a, uh, a reflection of sentience. That is not the case. A reflection of sentience, a definitive test of sentience, is the ability to self-realize. Now that's not to say that their reaction to pain is not a sent, is not a uh, demonstration of consciousness. Demonstration of consciousness is much easier than a demonstration of sentience. Consciousness only requires us to be mentally awake, but not self-realizing. So animals of every species that are mentally awake, which you can tell if they have brains for one and for two, they interact with the environment. Um, they are conscious. 
by the terms of, of neuroscience. To what level of consciousness actually varies? There's quite a bit different uh, levels of consciousness. Uh, Dr. Kaku had written a book about the levels of consciousness. Well, he wrote a book about consciousness in general from a neurological and astrophysics or a physics perspective. And one of the things he talks about is the level of consciousness that people can exhibit based on behaviors. And the levels of consciousness can vary from smaller animals to bigger ones, depending on what their interactions with the world is. Veganism has it wrong when it comes to the moral argument saying that you are killing a sentient being and that makes you a morally wrong person for killing something so sentient. The act of killing things in itself is a moral argument to state that it's wrong to kill people. And in a social species, this is the case. We have an altruistic nature toward killing our own human species. Thus, that's why there is a plethora of laws that try to dictate the punishment for people breaking the moral code, the moral agreement between society and self. Uh, murder, for example, carries probably the heaviest of um, penalties. If you take somebody else's life, in most places, your life is also forfeit. So if somebody else dies, so do you. In the case of animals and consumption, that is not the case. Meat eaters, such as lions, will take out a caribou to feed their family. They have taken life to, con- to live. But neither life is actually sentient. They're conscious, but not sentient. We are an omnivorous species, which allows us to eat a lot of different things. And making the moral argument state that killing an animal to live or eat is a bad thing is all relative to the person's own moral understanding. So then... A vegan tries to take the upper hand, saying that the moral argument of killing another animal is enough to convince other people. The problem that they face is not whether or not their moral argument is true. The moral argument is true to them, but it is not true to others. The same type of moral arguments happen in every other ideology that we have. Christianity, for example, uses a moral argument to say that everybody's wicked and sinful, but there's a way to fix it by believing. This moral argument doesn't hold any more weight than the vegan vegan argument presented by most vegans. So there is a section of philosophy that deals with this particular problem. And the appeal to emotion is the fallacy usually drives the moral argument. The moral argument being that killing is wrong. It's an appeal to your emotional faculties to say that, well, you're okay with killing animals to, to live. Some people would say, yes, I like my steak. I'll kill it myself if I have to. And they have no problem with that. Others won't slaughter their own food but they have no problem going over to um, Walmart or local grocery store or whatever to get that food because it's already been slaughtered, packaged, and sent throughout the world or throughout wherever Walmart sells food to um, feed their faces, as it were. But the moral argument, the appeal to emotion, relies on uh, a branch of philosophy called, called moral relativism. And allow me to explain that a little bit of, of what that is. Moral relativism, uh, if you want to check out philosophybasics.com, uh, to give you the inter- introduction of it, it is a position of moral eth- ethical pr- propositions that do not reflect objective and or universal moral truths but instead make claims to relative social, cultural, historical, or personal circumstances, does not deny outright the truth, value, or justification of moral statements, um, moral anti-realism kind of does, 
but affirms relative forms of them. They may also describe common aphorism. When in Rome, do as the Romans do is is one of those phrases. So moral relativists will point out that humans are not omniscient. We are not all-knowing beings. History is repeat with examples of... uh, People trying to claim a perfect truth and being full of bullshit. Flat Earth, for example. So, when we talk about ethics, and you try to make an absolute claim on ethical positions, you have an uphill battle because ethics and morals, well, ethics and morals are two different things, but uh, the conclusion of an ethical position from a moral relative position is to say that it is personal. And so in their case with a moral relative person is that they make moral and ethical judgments on the acts of other people Uh, claiming that that person has no morals or ethics because of their own philosophy based on their moral or ethical position. So in the case of vegans, what happens in moral relativism compared to uh, a vegan is that they will claim a moral absolute position, which is their moral argument, that all killing is bad, period. Doesn't matter what it is, but if you're killing things, you're a bad person. No question. That, that is a true, true statement is what they're trying to claim. However, that is a relative position, unfortunately, because all morals, in my view, in my philosophy, all morals are subjective. There is no universal moral truth. The reason why I claim this in the universal moral truth, if you take killing is bad, um, majority, like the world, almost everybody agrees with this. However, talk to a Muslim that is uh, a fundamentalist Islamist. Essentially, they take the Quran to mean 100% true. Everything in there is 100% accurate. Ask them their thoughts on a gay person. Well, it is a mercy to kill a gay because they are sick. Iran claims there are no gays because they're all dead, probably. They throw them from the rooftops. In Saudi Arabia, atheism is terrorism. And people that uh, are atheists are killed because they defy Allah and are deserving of death. They're infidels. So to to the fundamentalist, the Islamist, the Middle Easterner, their morally relative position is murder is wrong except when it's okay because of very subjective reasons that are defined in their holy book. In omnivorous people, the people that eat meat and vegetables, vegetables, uh, in the vegan perspective, they are wrong because they take the moral absolute position that all killing is evil. Killing of another thing is inherently evil. Therefore, um, merely taking the life of a thing that would be food is evil. This puts them in a moral position where they claim to have the high ground And as my description said, I am better than you is usually the result. Um, Murder and killing in particular for humans has a very negative connotation because when you talk about murder or killing, you usually relate it to your own species. And killing another human has been a negative thing because it requires – it mitigates our survival. We are a social species, and we rely on other humans to survive. 
be it the herd mentality to run away from those things that would kill us, or be it the uh, army that protects us from things that would kill us, or other humans that would try to kill our tribe. If we want to tribalistic or um, tribe versus tribe, if the other tribe has different views and opinions that you don't necessarily agree with, um, one may try to kill the other, and the result is war. And the outcome is usually death, but it is justified to kill your enemy in these cases because of a disagreement on a very subjective position. In the vegan view, no killing is a good thing. Taking a life is a bad thing. Now, I hope I outlined this as well as I could, and if any vegans want to come in and maybe call in if they're listening and uh, see if I'm on par. Uh, if I'm wrong, please call in, let me know, and uh, I'll correct this position immediately. But with this moral position, um, let me go through the counterpoints and the problems with this argument and why I believe it is fitting that I discuss it on this particular episode of the Axiom Principle. The moral argument, as I have said, is a subjective one where no two people's morals are exactly the same. Uh, there's a lot of uh, environmental uh, issues that may have changed the person's moral position. There are a number of ideological reasons that would cause a person to not have the same morals as somebody else. You may have the same morals as your parents, but I'm willing to bet and guarantee that those morals may slightly differ from your parents' morals on a number of things. It may be very benign. For example, you may be a smoker, but your parents never were. And to them, smoking is bad and unethical and maybe a, an immoral thing. It's a bad thing to do. Yet you have no problem with it. Or drinking, for example. Those are usually the two that are pretty obvious. Like you may be a drinker, but maybe your family has never drank in its life. And maybe they have a reason for that, like a drunkard uncle or, or um, an alcoholic in their family. And so it runs in the family and they avoid it like the plague. Just for examples, they may differentiate. But when, when we're talking about veganism and the moral argument specifically, um, they claim the high ground because all murder and all killing is bad. Yet this is a complete oxymoron. One thing that no one seems to ever notice or take note of is that all life on this planet, it does not matter what it is, all life on this planet consumes other life to live. Down to bacteria that eats herbia. They don't sit around and just munch on a rock, for example. There's not any animal, to the best of my knowledge, that eats strictly minerals. There may be some. I, I can't can't say that there isn't. Uh, plants might be one of those ones where it strictly just takes sunlight and it uh, eats the nutrients in the ground. But however, let me propose this for you and let me run down this rabbit hole and see if this makes t sense to you as an objective point of contention against this claim of the moral superiority that killing all life is, is um, absolute evil. If all life on this planet consumes life to live, let's start with plants because plants are usually the first be things being eaten. You got the herbivores, the vegetarian type animals that will eat only plants. Now, when something dies of natural causes, because nothing is immortal, its body decomposes. The body decomposing becomes fertilizer, if you will, becomes nutrients for the ground the decomposition of that body into the ground strengthens and feeds a plant life better than a barren area that has never had anything out there die, uh, like a desert or something like that, or sand, for example. Sand cannot hold nutrients from dead carcasses. It takes... Uh, concentration of dirt and that kind of thing only happens where a large number of things have died or it's uh, 
ecologically possible or environmentally possible. Regardless, where things die provide nutrients for animal or for plants uh, in the location that they die. This is in life on the bottom of the ocean, where there are no plants because there's no light, because it's one of the requirements a plant needs. But there are other animals on the bottom that are carrion feeders, as it's called, the dead things, and they consume life to live, the dead carcasses of life that once was a living thing. So plants and their roots consume the best nutrients, and those best nutrients are provided by things that are dead or things that have been passed through a living thing. So crap um, manure, for example, is the byproduct of cows. I hope I don't need to explain it any further than that. And essentially, um, you put a bunch of manure, you put a a bunch of fertilizer down, it helps plants grow faster, better, and healthier than if there was nothing there in the first place. This byproduct of animals, including ourselves, because we can produce manure from our own leavings, is a necessity for other life to live. So it, the plant, consumes life, or what was once life, in the form of nutrients in the ground to better uh, feed itself and grow faster and healthier and out stronger. Moving to the next cast of things, not plants, but vegetarian-type mammals and animals, they too consume life to live. Soy... This is one of my puns. I love this one. Soy is a seed of the soy plant. So when people substitute soy for turkey, for chicken, for whatever, because it can absorb any pretty much nutrient you can find, the consumption of soy is the consumption of ground-up babies of the soy plant because the seeds are the children of the soy plant. We are consuming life as a vegetarian to live. Of course, their moral justification for this is that plant life is not sentient. This is true, but who's to say that it is not conscious as well? Um, It is true that it has no nervous system and no brain, but they also do react to their environment in different ways. That's not to say that plants are conscious. I don't want to go down that route. There has been no evidence that I've seen to date that suggests that a plant is conscious, but a plant is nonetheless a living thing. It rela- reacts to and stimuli. It, relax- it reacts to its environment. Uh, it grows, it cellularly divides, uh, reproduces, that type of thing. The very um, base description of what is human life is in a plant. And any vegetarian and vegan, for that matter, because that both falls into these categories, is consuming life to live. That is to say that they are killing a life, killing the plant, to consume it to live. So it is a requirement of life to kill life to eat, to survive. Life feeds on life. When you get to the omnivorous, which is humans and a few other base animals, um, they all consume whatever life is available to them. The most bountiful is usually the one that's most consumed. Um, so it's no surprise that uh, vegetables are a big part of our entire diet, but we also can consume meat, and we we have ways to preserve that meat, which is like uh, uh, help helped us to develop to the point we're at now. Several million years later, uh, we can still consume pretty much anything that's out there. Carnivores pretty obvious. They can consume other living, moving, sentient, not sentient, um, conscious life to live. So they hunt down the stuff that is full of the most protein, the most um, beneficial stuff to live that puts them at the top of the food chain, if you will. But even the, even the biggest and strongest carnivores that we have in our entire uh, Ecology, which would be the animals of the sea, like uh, sharks, for example. They can get pretty big. Killer whales are probably another good example. They eat seals. 
and other things that eat large animals to survive, they eventually die. And when they die, they become food for something else to live. So their moral argument that killing is wrong and we should never kill anything to live is a direct falsehood because it violates the very basis and the very nature of life. At least this is my understanding of it, and I'm basing it on the cycle of life, the cycle of life that things die and re, uh, get turned into food for plants, plants get eaten by herbivores, herbivores get eaten by omnivores or carnivores and so on and so forth, and everything dies. And, you know, the big circle of life, the cycle of life continues. Life consumes life to live, period. This is a natural process and has always been. The moral argument to say that killing is bad, especially from the vegan perspective, is to negate or purposely state that our very existence is um, counterintuitive to the way nature works. I understand that their focus primarily is on things that have base emotions such as fear, anger, lust, and uh, whatnot. But essentially, their position, their claims, is based on a subjective interpretation of what it is and is not uh, allowable to eat. Fortunately, it's a very easy thing to point out that they are definitely in a minority and the only reason that they have this option is because veganism and vegetarianism takes the position of eating what is most bountiful to us which is plant life plant life is easily obtained we can get it from anywhere and that puts them in the moral superiority bucket because they think they're better because they don't kill things to eat So that pretty much is it in a nutshell. Vegan and its argument, especially in the moral argument, has no real basis in reality. It is entirely subjective, and it is based on their appeal to our good senses of guilt and uh, compassion or altruistic behaviors toward other animals. I, I can understand this to a point because I have seen uh, my own things slaughtered. I've never hunted, but I've fished and I've gutted my own fish and watched them die, but they don't, they already have kind of like, they already have kind of lifeless eyes to begin with. So I have no issue with eating fish, for example, especially the ones that I capture myself. So I wanted to leave you with a, a really interesting quote that I found in Moral Relativism. And it's from the same website, philosophybasics.com. And it's the sophist Greek philosopher Protagoras was his name. And it says, man is the measure of all things. This is to say that uh, life is measured by our own interpretation of what is life. So when you see a vegan claim sentience to a cow, they're relatively putting their position or their belief in what is and is not sentient to work to defend their ideological position of not eating meat. Thank you for joining the Axiom Principle for tonight. I hope you had an interesting uh, listen uh, regarding veganism. And uh, thank you. All right. This is the uh, off-the-air version. I usually cut this off on my uh, YouTube feed. It's only available for you to listen to the podcast and can and contribute to my continued work and trying to deflate and debunk anything that claims to be true but is not. I uh, have been I've been busy the last couple of weeks. I uh, had a lot of stuff going on, so I haven't been very active on social media. I have not been very active uh, with uh, my YouTube videos. Um, 
and my blog has been pretty stagnant as far as it's concerned as well. Um, a lot of life changes happened, so I don't want to get into it too much, but uh, I still do hold a full-time job, so that kind of puts a hamper on things, and some things have changed in that arena, plus there's some uh, family drama that I've had to deal with. Um, I do have a 19-year-old now, for example, and he has moved out, but I still have to deal with uh, his learning curve, as it were, of living on his own and manning up, as it were, <laughs> which has been entertaining, to say the least, but a little bit frustrating since he's still not in college. But, uh, yeah, it's been a little bit hectic, and the summer has hit, so I'm thinking I, I might have some additional time to get some things done. Um, my podcast schedule is going to still remain every other week. Um, I'm hoping to bump up the blog a little bit more, um, post at least once or twice a week. You can also join me on minds.com where I typically post, uh, one of my blogs from my historical stuff. And then every once in a while I'll do a minds only blog post and present that out there. Um, Twitter is basically crap posting, putting whatever down there. I'm uh, I'm on Facebook, but it's for family and friends only, so you won't be able to find me there. If you want to reach out, you can find me on Twitter, uh, or you can find me on YouTube, and I'm available in both. Now, uh, my, next up for my episodes is, uh, let me see here, Let's see if it'll keep me connected and not crash on me at the same time. Let's find out. Since I am recording through their tools. So my next up is the building a science-based worldview. I'm working on getting a special guest for this one. I'm hoping that he'll respond in kind and, and join us on this particular one. Um, I've yet to get a confirmation, but I will have a I will have a guest on that particular one. Uh, that that particular podcast, I'm hoping a lot of people receive it, because um, one of the things I've noticed in the atheist community in particular is that the worldview facing the your moral obligations, if you will, to society, um, the atheist community kind of do a moral relative type of position when it comes to anything that requires a decision. But I believe there is a way that you can scientifically create value propositions, which are morals, for your individual self that also are ethical based on um, very specific criteria. And that one in particular, if we can get to it um, in two weeks, I will be covering the propositions and basing your entire worldview, your moral, your ethics, and what have you, entirely from a scientific point of view. Um, be covering a variety of different topics on that. It'll be very fun. The uh, the one after that, we'll wrap up the, this month in June, is the free speech war and the recap of the insanity. I'll be going over everything that's happened to date, some of the new stuff transpired, the things that have um, happened in the last little while, and I've actually started to see slight shift in our uh, dichotomy, especially in the Western run, um, with some resistance, of course. But it's a, it's an interesting shift, and I want to give you a different uh, nuance interpretation of the paradigm shift that we are seeing between cultures and, and um, new uh, issues that we've had. I've had some readings that I might give you out of that one, too, that I've seen. Uh, some things that are relative, including, you know, George Orwell's book. Um, that one should be pretty interesting. And then I'll, after that, I'll be posting up the July uh, time schedule. And I have actually the rest of my schedule planned out for the rest of the year. So uh, thank you, everyone, for joining. Uh, I hope that recap does well for you. Please check me out on Twitter. Please join me on YouTube. I'll be posting a lot more up in there, but those are a little bit more entertaining than intellectual like these podcasts are. And uh, my real goal is here to, to get some guests on my show and hopefully have some very interesting interactions with some people that will uh, further our understanding and remove ourselves from ignorance. Um, 
That is my entire goal for this axiom principle is to stop believing in things that people claim to be true without evidence and really drive home reality as the only true way to understand anything. Thank you once again for joining and good night.